I look like I got milk on my chin because my gray hairs are coming in. I look like I got milk on my chin because I got gray coming in. Ooh, I like that one. Hey, bud. My guest is drummer, marathon runner, non-for-profit worker, friend, Justin Benner. What else with Corey, man? This guy can podcast like nobody can. What else with Corey, man? You will look deep inside of yourself and feel something you've never felt when he asked what else with Corey, man. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Yeah, I like that. Before we get too deep into this, though, I just wanted to give you some kudos because as I was thinking about you this week leading up to knowing that we were going to have a conversation, I was thinking back to like, I remember when you were kind of in the beginning stages of this podcast. You know, I would imagine there were probably at times maybe some doubts or some things that you were like, you know, should I, is this going to work? Are people going to want to do this? You stuck with it, man, and it's it's awesome. I, I'm an avid listener. Just wanted to give you props for sticking with it and keeping it going and having great conversations, and it's fun for me to listen in because obviously I know probably the majority of people that you talk to, but you know, but a lot of the times I learn something about them that I didn't know because you ask really great questions. You know, and I was just thinking like, why, you know, why do people want to talk to Corey? You know, and I think in my time of knowing you. You know, you've just always been an easy person to talk to. You're an avid music lover. You know, I really appreciate. And so it's always been fun to talk to you just about all kinds of music. And I think you always have really, truly, um, you know, cared about the artist and wanted to get to know, you know, who these people are uh, making this music that you play. Anyway, that's my that's my 10 cents. And I just wanted to say congrats because now you're an award winning podcaster, right? (laughs) And don't you forget it. Did you get like a trophy or a medal or a certificate? I did. They sent me a piece of glassware that's uh, in the office across the hallway there. So kudos, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Introduce yourself. Let's see. My name is Justin Benner, and I have, let's see, Corey, I was thinking like I've known you in a couple different seasons or chapters of my life, but our initial meeting, at least that, that sticks out to me, was during a time that I was playing drums in a band called Hawk Nelson. And we came through on a promo tour and got lunch with you at Legends on the Notre Dame campus. What a memory. Um, I had like known about you, you know, or maybe our paths kind of loosely crossed before that, but because I remember being excited to go and spend some time with you. So I feel like I had met you previously. I mean, I do recall that we sang karaoke together at some point, and I can't remember if that was before or after this time. And I was trying to hone in on what song it was. And the best I could come up with was Don't Stop Believing," but I'm not 100% on that. Was that so, Florida? Yeah, that was at uh, Kimono's in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. <laughs> well, what happens in Kimono's stays in Kimono's. Stays in kimonos. <laughs> there were some times where I wish that microphone battery would have went out. 
was some of my commentary <laughs> from that night. But anyway, so anyway, yeah, I, I um, remember being eager and excited to to get to know you better and spend some time with you. So that kind of would have been the first chapter or season of my life was playing drums predominantly in in the CCM space. You know, dabbled a little bit kind of in country, but yeah, Hawk Nelson is the band that I played with during most of that time. And we can dive into that a little bit deeper later on if you want. But then after that, you know, I went into kind of the label side of things and ended up working for several years in radio promotions, which would have been kind of chapter two of me getting to spend some time with you. And so, again, I remember when I started up at Provident and getting kind of a a call list of radio programmers to talk to, and seeing your name on the list and being like, yes, you know, another opportunity to, to kind of keep this relationship alive. So, you know, we got to talk quite a bit during those years sure did. Um, and, and hang out some. So always enjoyed that. And then after that, and, and kind of most recently, I've been working at a nonprofit called Food for the Hungry. That's what I'm doing now. And there's kind of a full circle moment that ties into that. But so you and I, you know, haven't necessarily connected as much while I've been there, but I'm glad that we've at least kind of kept in contact and um, that I still get to hear your voice on the podcast from time to time. But yeah, that's kind of, you know, career wise, that's kind of what I've been up to and been doing for the past, you know, gosh, ever since I I graduated from Belmont in 2004 and, you know, have kind of been in different iterations of the CCM music industry since then. I was telling a mutual friend of ours, apparently my threshold is somewhere between three and four requests to be on the podcast before I actually let you be on the podcast. But uh, here's another first. I don't know. Well, it's happened a couple times, but you were the first to go, hey, can I be on this thing? First official question would be, why? Why? That is, Yeah, that is a great question, right? Because like... I don't know. I, like I said, I've, I've pretty much been listening to to this podcast since the beginning. You know, I guess I kind of get a warm, fuzzy feeling when I'm listening to these interviews with, again, most of these people I've toured with or spent time with, you know, when I was doing radio promotions. And, I, and you know, and I think for me, I always really was drawn to or or resonated with, again, getting to know the artist and getting to know the people behind, you know, behind crafting these songs you know, it was always enjoyable for me, especially when I transitioned out of the artist space and started doing radio promotions. It was always really enjoyable to kind of look at things from, you know, I had a little bit of a different perspective, but I felt like that ultimately proved beneficial because let's say, for instance, a new artist was signed and they were going out on their first promo tour you know, I could speak from that kind of artist side of things like, look, I'm, I, I, you know, I've done this before. I know it might seem kind of odd, you know, or there's questions of like, what, you know, what are we doing? What, what's the reason for this? And so I could kind of come at it from that artist standpoint as a side, you know, instead of, you know, speaking kind of strictly from, well, it's, you know, it's the business thing that we do. And, and I don't know, put a little bit more of that artist touch, I guess, on it. So yeah, to answer your question, I just, I always enjoyed, you know, getting to know these people. And so I think listening to you having conversations with these artists, many of them, again, that you've known for a long time, I was just, you know, I, you know, I just always was thinking like, I, I just love Corey Mann and I would love to love, an, <laughs> you know, it's my pod, it's my podcast debut here. <laughs> Remind me 
Hopefully, I've got my memory banks dusted off for you. Are you originally from Ohio? I am, yeah. What part? Cincinnati. When is the first time you can recollect a drumstick hitting the snare for you? Yeah, that probably would have been, I'd say, like fifth or sixth grade. I think we had to choose between either like joining kind of like the school choir or you could opt to go into the band. I think you had to like choose one or one of those. I remember that. Um, up to that point, I had already dabbled somewhat in piano and even played saxophone and trumpet. It just kind of took some private lessons. I didn't really connect with some of those after a while. And so I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to do choir. So, you know, what instrument would I do? And so I just kind of landed on percussion and that's, that kind of started the journey to eventually landing at the drum set. But initially it was more kind of the classical side of a, you know, a snare drum and timpani and, you know, xylophone, those types of things that you would play more so like in a concert band. But then I started doing like jazz band, which was uh, obviously on the drum set. Uh, my brother played guitar and I had a good buddy who played bass. And, and so you know, you kind of start to put some things together and take some stabs at, at writing some silly songs. And then next thing you know, you've got your, you know, your garage band, or in my case, it was a basement band. Name of the band? I'm pretty sure our very first band name with just me and my buddy was Plum, but it had a B at the end. But the reason that that is funny is because I ended up playing for Tiffany Lee Arbuckle, who, who is, is Plum. Plum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you already had the merch. Yeah. I think that name just came from us writing a stupid song about plums. And I don't know why that was the fruit that we decided to write a song about, but it was, you know, I think we just took our band name from like, well, this is our, our first song. So I guess we'll just name our band that too. <laughs> Were you showing off your own style or were you still trying to figure out who you were while performing in the slam dunk funk Kings high school pep band? Yeah, you did do some digging. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was another thing that I, that I, um, you know, did throughout high school really was play drum set in the, in the pep band. And it was a blast, man. Like, you know, I had a bunch of buddies who played on the basketball team and stuff like that. And so, you know, they'd come out of the locker room and high five me and I'd I'd have a drum solo here or there or whatever. And so it was a lot of fun. And, and truthfully, you know, I would be remiss to not acknowledge the kind of director of that band, who was also my chemistry teacher. His name was Mr. D'Agostino. He always early on, you know, encouraged me and made efforts to, you know, make sure that I had opportunities to play, I guess. And so just was a, you know, kind of one of those prominent figures in my life early on that sort of gave me that nudge of like, hey, I think you might have something here. Maybe you should, you know, keep doing this thing and keep moving in this direction. But yeah, man, Slam Dunk Funk, that was the name of the the group. Notre Dame (laughs) University still uses a piece of Metallica's One from 1988 during some specific, uh, like when they get a first down, they do a, you know, nerds like me know yeah. that it's Metallica. Do you remember a, a cadence or a song that you guys ripped off that you used often in a basketball game? Yeah, you'll love this too, because 
there was a there was sort of like a co-director i guess of the group and he was a huge van halen fan here we um, go and he had the same like guitars that eddie had and all the things and so from time to time and i i wasn't really familiar with much van halen at that time and but we worked up a couple van halen tunes and so every <laughs> so often and he would play all the licks and all the riffs and solos and everything um, and so that was kind of my kind of proper introduction to Van Halen. Did you hear a piece of music or see a rock music video from Phil Collins that made you go, I want to do that? The moment that's, that sticks out for me was, you know, I probably was like a freshman or sophomore in high school at this point. So I had been playing drums for a little while. And was starting to get more versed in kind of like some of the big names, you know, of dr drummers that are out there. And I had grown up on, you know, kind of like you said, Phil Collins, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Lionel Richie, Sting, you know, some of those artists that not all of them obviously are drummers, but but all of the ones that aren't usually had really great drummers that recorded and played with them. And so I would oftentimes kind of take a deep dive on like, wow, I really like this Sting song. Who is playing drums on this? You know, and you find out it's a Manu Kache or Vinny Cauyuta or some of these like, you know, high profile top tier drummers at that time, at least. But when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, I remember riding home with an upperclassman because, you know, you weren't cool if you rode the bus, you know, so try to score a ride home with an upperclassman. And he was playing a record in his car and it was Dave Matthews Band's Live at Red Rocks. Oh, from yeah. Like 95, something like that. I remember like kind of hearing Dave Matthews Band, but I didn't really pay that close attention to it. And that was really the first time when I heard it and you know, you could tell it was live cause you'd hear, you could hear the crowd noise and stuff. And I remember thinking there's no way that this is just one guy playing drums and my mind just being kind of like completely blown. And literally from like that point on, I just went down this rabbit hole of learning about who Carter Beaufort is and who is this guy? What is he doing? I bought his instructional, Still got it over here on VHS, his instructional <laughs> drum video. And that was the first time, you know, this is a little bit nerdy drum talk, but like that was the first time I had seen a drummer play open-handed where, you know, most drummers, their dominant hand is crossed over. You know, if they're right-handed, they'll cross their right hand over their left hand. Well, in his case, a lot of the times he's playing, he's still playing on a right-handed kit setup, but he's playing with his left hand on the hi-hats and his right hand is is on the snare most of the time and so that was the you know and so it kind of instead of having there can be sort of some awkward things that can happen as far as doing fills or whatever when your hands are crossed and all of a sudden i just realized like wow i'd never thought like you could just keep your hands open and then that kind of frees you up to do some things that otherwise would maybe be a little bit tricky so anyway without getting too nerdy about it too late that was the first time that i was kind of like holy cow, like, who is this guy? What is he doing? Ultimately led me down this journey of, you know, kind of studying his every move and ended up, you know, seeing the Dave Matthews band live. I think I've hit about 40 times and even got to meet and hang out with him on a couple of different occasions. I got to literally sit directly behind him for a concert here in Nashville back in like 2001 and just watch him play an entire show. And I was just 
a kid in a candy store, you know, just like, holy cow, I can't believe this is happening. But super kind guy and was always willing, even though I was maybe a little stalkerish, you know, I've, I genuinely just wanted to learn from him. I think he got that. And, you know, a lot of people say not to meet your heroes, but in this case, it was like above and beyond what I could have ever expected. That's when I first was, you know, when I heard that, those songs, I guess, on that car ride home, that's when I was like, holy cow, like, I want to learn how to do this. You studied at Belmont under Chester Thompson. Here's what I remember about Chester Thompson, because I'm slightly older than you. When Phil Collins would go out on tour, Chester would play. That dude's been around for a long time. Give me a story about that guy, please. Yeah. And, and again, that's truthfully what, what brought me down to Nashville. It was sort of a last minute decision. Um, you know, it was summer before I was going to be starting up my freshman year of college. And I was already planning. Actually, I was planning to go to Taylor, this small Christian college, Taylor University sure. in Upland, Indiana. And I knew that I, I wanted to do something in music, but I just, you know, my again, my passion was kind of like playing the drum set or playing in a band. Taylor didn't really have any much to offer in that area, but I still, you know, I had some friends that went there and I still was planning to, to do that. Well, kind of last minute, I found out about Belmont and I, you know, I heard that Chester taught there and having grown up on Genesis and Phil Collins and some of those guys, you know, I was somewhat familiar with him. You know, truthfully, I was kind of more into the Phil Collins stuff at the time. I found out that Chester taught there, and I remember the evening that I found out about that, I went home and I was like, Mom, I know where I want to go to school, you know? And she was like, we know too, you're going to Taylor University. And I was like, no, I want to go to Belmont in Nashville and study drums with Chester Thompson, you know? And inside, she was probably having a heart attack, but, you know, she was super supportive and like, hey, if you, you know, look into it, figure out what you got to do, and, and if you've got the time and can make the cutoff dates and all that, then go for it. I made the last audition date, you know, somehow got in, but they had a commercial music program where you could actually have like an emphasis in an instrument, you know? And so I went in with the, with the mentality of, I want to do commercial music. I want to do a drums performance emphasis, and I want to study with Chester. And thankfully, you know, luckily I got to do that. I mean, I learned so much from studying with him. And there were some really great other instructors in the drum program, too, that I got to study with. You know, and, and he's, he's you know, just was always very kind. Definitely, there's there was an intimidation factor where I was like, I got to practice. I got to show up prepared. Otherwise, he you know, he might lay into me or I'll just, you know, feel terrible. But, it, yeah, it was a blast studying with him. I'll say two highlights from that time. The first one was um, when I first went to Belmont, I just had an, a kind of an older Pearl export, which if anybody knows about drums, that's kind of like your beginner level drum kit. Okay. Um, and so that's what I was playing on when I would practice and stuff for the first year at least. I guess I just got to talking with him one day and was talking about, you know, I really would like to get a nicer drum kit or, you know, I wasn't like asking him for anything. But I remember he him saying, like, you know, I might have some I might have some stuff lying around. And so he took me to a couple different places where they you know, where he would do rehearsals and stuff. And they kind of have storage lockers for gear for people that I guess are there often enough that they just keep their stuff there. And we kind of pieced to get, you know, he, he had this beautiful sonar kit and it's just a beautiful it's a huge kit. It's like eight pieces 
but he still had all the drums. He had all the hard original black hardware for it, you know, gave me some symbols and things as well. You know, I still paid him for it, but it was a very highly discounted rate. But I just thought that was, you know, I still got the kit today and I'm pretty sure it's a one of one. Like, I don't think, I think they made it specifically for him at the time. And as far as I know, there isn't another one out there exactly like it. And he loved it so much that later on he was um, endorsed by DW drums and he had them make more or less kind of like a replica kit that had the same finish and same hardware and all of that, that he used when he was playing for Phil Collins. And so that would be highlight number one was getting the kit from him. That was just incredible. And then highlight number two would be that I got to see him play with Phil 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, went up to Columbus, Ohio at their arena there and got to see him play with Phil. You know, I'm super thankful for that opportunity to get to study with him. He's making Hawk Nelson was up and running before you joined. Correct. Okay. Yep. My favorite version of Hawk Nelson is you and John and that turning of old lead singers gone, you guys jump in there. So when I first uh, left Belmont or graduated from Belmont in 2004, that next year, I got my first professional gig, baby, and it was with Crystal Myers. I guess it would have been uh, 2006. We went out on Winter Jam, and we were sharing a bus with a couple of guys from Canada who played in a band called Hawk Nelson. And so that was my first introduction to them was just, you know, kicking it with them on the bus. We got along fine. It, you know, they were they were fun guys and you know, but that was kind of that was kind of where that was left. You know, fast forward, I was playing in a in a different band that was also signed to Tooth and Nail Records, which Hawk Nelson was on. Name of band? The Send. The Send. We would oftentimes go out and play like open up for them on tours or, you know, play shows with them from time to time. And then eventually that led to Hawk Nelson's drummer at the time. They were like touring and then also recording at the same time. And so he had to had to leave the tour and do some recording. And I was asked if I would fill in. And they always say the easiest way to lose your gig is to have somebody fill in for you. <laughs> so that was not my intention by any means at that time. But I did play a couple of shows with them. And then there later that this would have been later in 2007, I guess. I ended up filling in on some more shows because their drummer had to miss, you know, for whatever reason. And then it it was told that he's actually planning on leaving the band. And so I kind of got the official invite or asked, you know, do you want to join the band? And so beginning of 2008 was kind of my official I'm joining Hawk Nelson moment. It was an exciting time. It was also sort of a challenging time. Jason, the the original lead singer, Jason Dunn and I were kind of two peas in a pod, like we were super close. And so when he decided to leave, you know, I think that might have hit me the hardest from a relationship standpoint. Like I was just, you know, super bummed because he was, you know, he's my good buddy to this day. So 
But then there was sort of like, well, what is this thing? What are we going to do? You know, do we get a new lead singer? Do we try to continue on with the Hawk Nelson name? Do we do we change the name and start something new? Because, you know, Dan and John and I still enjoyed playing music together. And it was a good thing. We you know, thought we had a good thing still. We had talked about replacing the lead singer, had kind of reached out to a couple of people, and it didn't really work out for one reason or another. And then we were on the Rock and Worship Road show, and uh, Bart Millard from Mercy Me kind of pulled John aside and was like, "Hey, what you know? Why don't you be the lead singer?" Um, and up until that point, we just—I don't know—I guess we were just kind of comfortable in our roles, and we'd never thought about like maybe somebody could, you know, that's already here could move into that. I should have pulled a Phil Collins and stepped up to the mic, is what I should have done. <laughs> you ready for a fun fact? I walked in on that conversation at the the Sears arena. Yeah. Yeah. I was coming to meet mercy me and you guys were on that tour. And I walked into the locker room slash dressing room and Bart and John, when you read people and you know, there's something going on body language wise, they were having a come to Jesus conversation. And I would later find out it was the, you need to step up. Yeah. I do remember John sharing that now that you bring it up. So yeah, then we, we, you know, we kind of started doing these, you know, we'd find a janitorial closet or something backstage that was big enough. And we would set up this kind of rehearsal, you know, I'd set up like a little drum kit and we'd get things going. And then we just kind of started playing through songs to see like, what does this feel like? You know, do we really, you know, do we feel like we could pull this off type thing? And, you know, we were like, okay, okay. Yeah. I think we could maybe work with this because that was sort of the awkward thing, right? Is like, there's a sense of you're starting a new band with guys you've been in a band with for, you know, however many years, five, six, seven, eight years. When you make a, make a change like that, you know, you're kind of used to things sounding a certain way. And Jason's voice is just very different than John's voice. You know, there, obviously there were some adjustments that, that kind of went on there, but like you said, when we decided to move forward with that, you know, then, that kind of opened up this whole other like, you know, well, what's this what what's this new sound going to be like? Because, you know, we didn't just want to be like a Hawk Nelson cover band up there, you know, with John singing old songs. So it's kind of like, well, we need to get some new material. And then obviously that launched the um, words was the first single, really, I guess, that that came out off the record, signed to Fairtrade, you know, and so it was it was, again, sort of like starting a band with guys you've been in a band with for a long time. But the challenge there was there was a you know i think just this mental component of cuz it's very easy it doesn't take long to get used to being able to be on a tour bus and maybe being on some bigger tours and you know the catering is is a pretty nice situation and you know all of those different things which are kind of you know these like luxuries you know if you're if you're fortunate enough i guess to to have those available to you when you're on tour well, we had to all of a sudden kind of like go back down and, you know, not necessarily like start from scratch, but we did kind of have to start over and sort of like prove ourselves again of like, this is, you know, something worth paying attention to. There were challenging times in that for sure, because all of a sudden, you know, you're back to riding in a, in a sprinter van or, you know, you're not on a bus like you used to be. And there's certain comforts that you got, you know, used to having that are no longer there. And obviously the hope was to to build back up to that. And, you know, I think everybody handled that in different ways, but it, you know, it, it was a challenge. And I think all of us were 
on board to to give it our best shot. And obviously for several years, it, it ended up, you know, working out pretty well. When did you know it was time to leave? <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I was just getting to that part, I guess, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, a little bit of a loaded question, I guess, but it was a little bit of a progression. One component to that was I started to have a family. And so at the time I was the only one in the band with, you know, babies and, and, and little kids at home. I think I was feeling more so than the other guys, kind of this pressure of like, you know, I feel like I need to be home more. I feel like I need to be helping out more with this, you know, just spending more time with my family and that sort of thing. So that was a piece of it as we got into record. So we put out the record made, which had words on it, a couple others that went to radio. And then after that started working on a new record. Anyway, it had the song diamonds. Diamonds on was on there. I think drops in the ocean was drops on there. in the ocean. Yeah. I can't remember what the, if diamonds was the name of the record, but anyway, and so I think it was called diamonds. So we started working on that record and doing some kind of pre-production, which is a fancy term for like, basically just, you know, working out ideas and some of the dynamics I will say within the group kind of started to change some for better, some for worse, maybe. But now that John was in the lead singer, you know, position, you know, I'll say kind of a lot of the responsibility and even, you know, pressure to write, you know, kind of fell on him. And in hindsight, I don't know that that was completely fair, but a lot of the times, you know, I mean, he's a super talented guy and had been writing, you know, for a lot of his life. So it wasn't like a, wasn't like a new thing for him. But, you know, he would go off and write with other writers in town and then kind of bring those ideas or demos back to us. And then Dan and I and whoever else, you know, we were kind of working with, we would sort of put our signature on them, if you will. Or, you know, we would listen to like, okay, you wrote this song, you you know, there's these parts that were kind of developed. I'm either going to try to, as a drummer... I'm either going to try to kind of mimic what I'm hearing or if I hear something, you know, that I think is better or kind of more me, then I might try to add that to the song so that I feel like I'm more a part of kind of the the overall creation. Have a buy-in. Right, right. There just came a time for me where, where it felt like, it felt like the band element had kind of, been removed and it was more so like john was going and writing these songs and then he was coming back and being like you know what do you think about this you know and be like oh yeah that's that's cool you know like when are we going to get together and you know when when should we get together and kind of work it up i remember i think it might have been the song diamonds once he came back and played us the the quote unquote demo and we were like yeah that sounds great man when are we going to work this up and he's like this is the song like there's no there's no working this up so (laughs) that was kind of an eye-opening moment for me of like oh okay well i've got this family at home that i feel this pull to kind of be with more and i sort of feel like the collaborative element of being in a band and working on songs together i feel like a, a a good piece of that had kind of gone away 
And so I think those two things combined was enough for me to sort of be like, I think my time here is, is finished. And it wasn't an easy decision by any means. Like I love those guys. I'm so grateful for um, that time and that period of time in my life. You know, I, all the different artists and groups that I got to play with. Um, I just really lucked out with getting to be around really good people and, um, you know, still keep in touch with those guys to this day. It wasn't a, it wasn't an easy decision, but um, there were enough things kind of happening in my personal life. And then just sort of how I felt about, you know, either the creative process or the different band dynamics that I just felt like it was time for me to, to hang up the sticks and move on. One of my favorite <laughs> hangs is when you included my wife and I, we went to Chicago, one of my favorite cities, and we had a great dinner. And then a night out with uh, Lionel Richie and Mariah Carey and Torrin Wells. That was a fun, fun, fun show. If only I'd known how important the song All Night Long was to you, I would have given <laughs> you more attention than I did the icon <laughs> Lionel Richie on the stage. So Yeah, that was pretty special for me to get to see to uh, get to see him do that song live. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, he's gonna call on me. I know it. I just know it. He's gonna call on me and I'm gonna get the to go spotlight up there and sing will with hit him. section one oh four. Justin will ascend with angelic like wings to the stage. This has been yes. surprisingly great. Yeah, this has been a blast, man. Thanks again so much for having me. You got to put something saucy in the to get people to click on it because most people probably aren't going to know my name necessarily. So you, you got to come leave up with something that up it. to me. <laughs> oh. Good to see you, my friend. I hope we get you to too, actually buddy. see each other soon in person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. I love you. I love you too, pal. Have a great day. All right. See ya. What else with Corey Mann on the Brave Podcast Network with your host, Corey Mann, executive produced by Amanda Carroll, original music and theme song by Chris Cron. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode on Mondays. Find more episodes on faith, family, and fun at bravepodcastnetwork.com. Share this episode with a friend and thanks for listening.